Hello, Ernest. Hi, Ernest. I was thinking we should call this the Two Ernest podcast. The uh, Two Ernest. Both because we, both because we have two Ernest, and because I think both of us are probably two Ernest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. It's a, it's a <laughs> quadruple type meaning. Yes. Oh, give me a second here. Let me put on my. Uh, you got my headphones and my mask. How are you doing? All right. All right. Um, yeah, doing better. Uh, a little more organized. Was moving. <laughs> yeah. It's been a very intense week for the country since we last talked. That is correct. Yeah. And, uh, you <clears throat> know, it's, it's kind of like uh, interesting timing. This, uh the virus, so all these situations before the virus, and and now the uh, race, you know, based uh, change and movement. It's uh, I'm happy to see it. It's, it's a long time coming, and uh, yeah, I'm glad that um, people are waking up to the plight that some of us go through. You know, that can end up, you know with losing our lives. Yeah. yeah, it's um and it's um it's it, it's interesting. I think, you know, obviously what you see depends on where you look. But in some ways I've seen uh more empathy uh this for this uh crisis than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. At least in the uh, conservative Christian circles I hang out with, which tend to be um, more skeptical or suspicious of groups like Black Lives Matter. But I think because of the, uh, I, don't, I don't know, it's figure out why, but this time around, it feels like there's much more of a willingness to uh, engage with people across racial lines and seeking understanding. And, you know, I would tend to credit it to, to the fact that, um, one, people have more spare time to reflect mm-hmm. uh, rather than having to fit it in anything. And I think there is uh, both a greater sense of we are all one world, one planet, uh, for many people at least, than there has been in the past. And that, mm-hmm. you know, what happens to some of us really does affect all of us. So that's a positive thing. I also think that our faith in existing centralized institutions is weaker. And having seen, you know, different institutions being suspended or stressed or failing means that sort of the knee-jerk reaction to defend our institutions that many of my uh, communities tend to turn to is tempered a bit. You know, yeah. and and so there's a willingness to uh, maybe maybe not necessarily rethink, but uh, relax some of our traditional affiliations in a time like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are my thoughts. Exactly that we have to, um, you know, do something different. You know, we've tried so many things that are very similar in the past. We have to like well, you know, re evaluate our foundation. Are we for yeah. the individual or are we for the community? 
what are we for? Right. Right. And I, but so here's the so here's the question. So this is good. So you know, it, it's a horrible podcast if we always agree. So let me try and push on that. And that I think that's the wrong dichotomy. Mm. And so uh, you know, we've talked about all the flaws of capitalism and all the things that suck about it. But the the question I wanted to maybe focus on this week is what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. Because uh, the um, so in particular, let's start with, uh, so I mentioned how, you know, yeah, it's easy to be against capitalism because of all the flaws and problems we see in it. But Marx was also against capitalism. And I don't think that turned out as well as he hoped. Mm-hmm. And so the yeah. interesting question is, and, you know, a lot of the, the rhetoric and the terminology, maybe not the ideology, but a lot of the mindset of the Black Lives Matter movement and marginalized communities and being woke, is kind of built on a Marxist foundation and analysis. And my particular uh, take on that is that Marxist critiques of capitalism are often quite good and insightful, but their attempts to articulate an alternative have been mostly useless. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are if you've even looked at it through those frames before. My thoughts on alternatives to uh, capitalism or yeah and, or... and and marxism in particular if you have any experience or exposure to that yeah i've uh i haven't read his books but i've you know watched the uh podcasts and uh youtube videos about you know his work um that he looked for uh you know people to um share you know instead of individual property you have community property and, mm-hmm. and hmm? Uh, yeah, community community property, and 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 instead of the just a few people owning the means of production, you know, hey, the the, the state or the uh, community owns that. Um, I think the the main problem is that there are no safeguards against people who want to bucket. You know, like uh, even you know we can we have a prime example in the U.S. right now. So there's the Constitution, right? It, it, it lays out it lays out a set of principles and guidelines into how to run a country without a king. But it turns out that those things can be, uh, even when codified in law, a, a persistent individual can just ignore them. And and if he gets a lot of people to uh, 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 join him in his behavior, he it, it can be overcome. It get you know. Uh, if you if he can control the the, the courts, the Supreme Court, with people friendly to his cause, if he can control a large part part of uh, Congress to um, follow he, in his movement, it can be over overturned. It, you know, people there are other people that are trying to really hold it up together, but giving enough time, those things can be broken. So the the a big problem is how to overcome the desire of individuals to break the system. To that, you know, yeah, I I see what you're doing, but I'm going to do it my way, and and those being allowed to do that. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing, though. You know, there's an interesting uh, paradox here, because certainly one can look at it through the lens of, oh, you know, the Constitution was set up to safeguard 
individuals and, uh, you know, things like that. And so when uh, an elite group hijacks the levers of power and uses it to turn it to their self-interest, that's a violation of the system and we need to design a better system uh, or fix the system. The other way of looking at it, uh, which, you know, is uh, an interesting critique, is that no, actually the system is functioning as it was designed by wealthy white male landowners. Yes. Right? And, yes. and you, I think you may have heard that the first draft of the Declaration of Independence was uh, life, liberty, and property. Mm. And that, you know, and it's important to realize that they were doing that against the background of um, franchise in the sense that, you know, going back to the medieval empires, no merchants were allowed to really own land. All the land was owned by the nobility and, you know, under franchise from the church. And everyone else was just a renter. And this concept that you could actually just homestead a piece of land and own it, uh, as all our Virginia slave owners did, was really quite radical at the time. And that was kind of like a really innovative idea that individuals would own, would own property uh, rather than just the nobility. And you know, it's worth thinking through, going back even further, the reason the nobility was able to did that and where people were okay with that was because they made, you know, was, you know, Charles Martel and Charlemagne uh, with the Mongol hordes and all those things invading Europe. Uh, people said, you know, I'd rather hide behind somebody bigger and stronger than me because the alternatives are horrible. And so the anyway, very superficial history lesson, I'm hardly an expert on this, but there's all these different dynamics that go into the idea of property. And there's all sorts of good and bad historical reasons for why things shaped out the way they are. And so anyway, the reality is if most people, uh, sorry, you know, it's kind of pretty much any system you design, there will be a case where the wrong person at the wrong time with the right manipulation. Like, you familiar with Godel's incompleteness theorem or Turing incompleteness for mathematics? No. Well, you, have you heard the halting problem in computer science where you can't build a, uh, you can't build a program, you can't be sure that a program won't get stuck in an infinite loop. And if you build a checker problem to check for infinite loops, it, you can't prove whether or not that checker program can get stuck mm. in an infinite loop. Okay. Right. So the kind of the the, the 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 general statement, or at least the philosophy behind it, is that uh, for any complex system, you can't prove that you can't prove that it's unhackable. Mm -hmm. Like even Bitcoin, you know, if enough people concentrate enough power, they can break the Bitcoin protocol. Because you have to have it where if enough people think it's important, they can fix the the blockchain protocol, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a self-modifying system, and so the uh, the best you can hope for, well, there's two things you can hope for. One is to try to make the system more resilient. 
The other is to try to make the system weaker. Weaker? Right, so that it's weaker. So that if someone gets control of the system, they don't have access to too much power. Which, mm -hmm. for example, I think that even in this situation, I think it's a really good case that federalism works. Right, because you know, even if you don't like the president, what the president is doing, he has severe limits on how much he can do at the state level and at the city level. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think as you've seen in this crisis uh, during the whole COVID scenario, there's been great diversity in how different states and different cities and counties have responded to this crisis. And even though it's had some downsides, I think overall it's a really strong case that a federalist system like this is more resilient than a, than a strictly hierarchical system. Yeah. Or a fully centralized system, right? And, you know, the interesting, uh, you know, one thing that I've learned in working in IT for the last few years is that there's a certain point where with a given level of technology, uh, the system can't work any better. And any attempts to try to improve the performance of the system will actually make it more brittle and uh, lead to worse outcomes. Uh, and, like I've gotten to the point with one of our systems that I manage where I say, I am not gonna make the system any more uh, better because any automations I put in, or any alerts I put in create more noise than useful information. Mm -hmm. And anything I fix is more likely to break something else worse later than it is to solve the immediate problem. So I have to say, we have to just live with this problem because any attempt to fix it is more likely to make it worse than better. And the conservative argument, which I'm not saying I agree with, is you know, democracy, you know, I think Winston Churchill said it best, democracy is the worst system ever invented except for all the others. Okay. Yeah. And this is the, this is the barrier of credibility you have to overcome, mm -hmm. which is to say, yeah, the system sucks in many ways, but what guarantee, what, what evidence do you have that the system you're proposing will not suck worse? Is this a question for me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, well, there are several things, like, one is not relying on one brain. So, at the, you know, it, it could be viewed as a high, as a combination of a federated system and um, a hierarchy. Hierarchy. Mm -hmm. the, the hierarchy is really, really sharp because ultimately, every member of a community or whatever type of entity we're talking about has power. They, they have uh, voting, they have decision-making power. So, uh, and, you know, instead of a single CEO, a single manager, you have at least three people who all of them have to agree for a change to happen. And uh, these three people are members of uh, what you might call a board of directors who have, you know, different expertise, expertise and can are also part of the decision-making process, um, but they are also beholden to the the, the members that the uh, the members that uh, for a better 
for lack of a better word, they represent. But it's not like the current uh, American United States system. Republican, the, the representative system? Yeah, we have, exactly. You vote for somebody, and then you have to trust that that, that person will continue to, you know, have your interests in, in, in mind when dealing with other uh, issues and other uh, uh, politicians. We don't have that now. You vote for a, a senator, a, a representative, and then, you know, they might have to deal with other forces in that in the chamber where you know somebody might say hey you want to advance your initiative well then you i'll help i'll vote for you if you vote for my other initiative so that they, they start dealing you know uh it's not a, well you know it's a type of currency a type of a political currency yeah, where, it's called law it's called log rolling i think is the um or pork barrel politics to use a more negative term Right, so I, I, yeah, so I'm familiar with the critique that oh, uh, Washington politicians or insider politicians become corrupt, and therefore we need stronger accountability between our elected officials and their constituencies. Right. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. Okay. So here's the counter argument to that, which is that you know, in the 70s and 80s and prior to Reagan, uh, that was very much a, a thing that bothered people, is that our elected representatives would get chummier with their peers in Washington than with their constituencies. And so there's a bunch of reforms around you know, term limits and things like that. And two interesting things happen because of that. One is that the relative influence of, California is a great example of this because we have much stricter term limits. We really had career politicians in Sacramento who ran everything. But the interesting side effect of when we tried to stop that was that one, the relative power of lobbyists increased because we had the representatives themselves had less power and that power vacuum and even that expertise vacuum was filled by long-term lobbyists. The second thing that happened is ideological polarization because you didn't have these people being so many a lot of them, frankly, are doing exactly what their constituents want them to do. And that pulls us to the extremes of left and right, because those mm -hmm. are the constituents who are most vocal with what they want. So, um, you know, there are systems that are more democratic and representative and have tighter feedback loops between constituencies and their representatives. But it's not clear to me that it's necessarily a good thing. Is not a good thing to uh, always represent your right. Because what if you have two groups of people who really hate each other, mm -hmm. and they each have different representatives? Then the uh, incentive, which has frankly played out quite dramatically over the last four years, is for people to fuel the flame by increasing how much they hate the other side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's authentic in well, I think most of us would consider a bad sense of the word. And that it makes us authentic at our deeper base, at our at our baser motivations, rather than our higher motivations. Mm. It's the, I mean, the, and so the the Madisonian perspective is like we is that uh, we have these factions, and we should try to make it that you know it's hard for a single faction to accomplish what it wants at the expense of others. 
and therefore we'll build a system that requires them to form coalitions mm-hmm. and compromise so that we average across at least multiple groups rather than just allowing each group sort of take turns uh, being tyrannical. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the critique is a valid one, but I, I think the the missing piece is how do you and I think this is the thing, the other thing, uh, you might want to talk about your North Star, because I think that's an interesting way into how some of these issues play out. Like, what is your vision for the future of the human race? Just for the record, um, I've heard it before, but I think it's good to have it on the podcast. Oh, uh, I see it as having an ex- a very big extended family. So um, there's no hard currency. You don't have to, like, uh, you know, deal with this abstract thing that is a currency. You deal with uh, people based on uh, the amount of trust that you have in them, and you. It is easy for you to trust or not trust entities or people because there is a much higher degree of transparency. You know, this conversation that you and I are having, I don't mind it, it being public. Um, the the causes that I uh, I'm I'm for you know the, the the kind of initiative that I'm interested in I don't mind people knowing that uh, the only thing that I want to be private is like uh, let's say my health information I don't want people to know what kind of diseases I have you know in the past I mean unless I decide oh to help humanity you know defeat diabetes uh, you know let me make this information um, available to a, a bunch of doctors, that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's so sensitive, I want it. I want some control in, in it. But most of the things that I'm interested in, my opinions, I want them to be totally transparent. I don't mind who uh, who's gonna know about them. Uh, transparency is a great uh, motivator. You know, I mean, if if it could be perfectly implemented, right, it would be a great motivated for people to not be, um, uh, uh, you know, not have affairs. Um, yeah, sunlight I, is the best disinfectant, as they say. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to have an affair. Not, you know, well, I love my partner. Yeah. But I also don't want to, uh, the judgment of, of people that, you know, uh, I might need to support causes, you know, so I want to uh, appear. I don't want just appear people partner but I want it to be proven you know like that's why I like science so much especially the scientific mm-hmm. method you uh, make observation you uh, postulate a hypothesis and then you know you do your work and you you know oh it, it, it passed it, it um, you cannot you are unable to uh, to break it uh, you know gravity when I uh, Throw a let go of an apple, it always falls. Um, and you know, I've done, yeah, unless, unless you're in an elevator, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I do a whole bunch of tests. Oh, hey, there's this thing called gravity that I think I know how it works, you know, and these are this is how I discovered how I work towards that. And all you other scientists, you know, have at it, you know, try to disprove it. And then they, they do that, they do their best work to, to try to uh, take it down, but it, they can't. So it's you know, uh, transforms into a theory. You know, it's a whole 
this, you know, that's how the theory of gravity or, or, or all kinds of theories have um, been formed and have stayed because not because you don't seek to um, make it so that it it, uh, it stays, you know, valid. No, what you do is you seek ways to invalidate it, and because it doesn't happen, that's what makes that's what makes it at least as true as we can get to, right? Yeah, you know. Right, right. So the, and the phrase I use for that, because uh, it may come up again, is honest, collaborative inquiry into competing alternatives. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. so the scientific method is where you say, you know, we all agree that um, this is an important problem to be solved. So in that sense, we're collaborating. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, Newtonian, uh, Newton's, I think Aristotle's, laws are the best way to explain how objects move and the newtonian can say well you know i know i think newton's laws are the best way to say how objects move and then the Einsteinian can say well i think i have an even better way and mm -hmm. that because they all agree they're on this shared quest the, the there's a uh, there's a sense of rivalry rather than opposition if that makes sense like I want to prove that my theories are the best around a sort of uh, a common court of public opinion. Is that kind of what you're saying about, is that capture kind of the essence of what you think is important about science? Yes, exactly that. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't matter what opinions somebody has, uh, whether they're religious or not, whether they believe in a God or not. The science is as close to what humans can get to the truth and that you know that is reliable and that at least most people can uh, people need a way to trust things people uh, facts uh, in a way that it, it ensures that everybody else will also trust that if you have an abstract concept you know such as God the, the, the existence or non-existence of God such as uh, uh, following a particular prophet, you know, Muhammad versus um, uh, whoever was supposed to follow him. And, you know, there was a whole, the whole, the main problem of the uh, Islam is, you know, it centers on Muhammad's successor, right? So that separated the whole, uh, it, it created a, a whole separation in the, in the religion. And, and, and because of that, you know, so many people have died and so many problems we have had just because uh, there was no succession plan for Muhammad. So, uh, if you, we have to have a way to. So, to be uh, more precise, there was no broadly accepted succession plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so, you know, that's precisely the, the, the tension is mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there, arguably there was a plan, maybe there was more than one plan, um, or maybe different people read the plan differently. And so, you know, he he was not able to institute a. On the other hand, one can make a case that if Muhammad had had a really robust uh, unified succession plan for all of Islam, that would have been better for Islam, but worse for the rest of the world. Mm. Right? Because I think about the way Apple handles podcasts. Like Apple's had a very laissez-faire ownership of the podcast ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And many people have lamented that Apple was not more aggressive in making podcasts more easy to monetize. But if they had done that, there's a good chance Apple would have become an aggregator and squeezed all the profit 
out of the podcasting ecosystem the way Google and Facebook have squeezed all the profit out of their advertising mechanisms. Mm. And so there's this tension. Uh, I think the systems theorists talk about it. There's this tension between being highly adaptive and being energetically stable. Like a system of peasants, uh, you know, or, uh, an egalitarian system of peasants in villages living together is more energetically stable. Uh, any individual village is easy to get wiped out, but the system as a whole is pretty robust because it doesn't really depend on anything. A civilization like ours is far more adaptive. One village is much less likely to get wiped out, but the system whole is, 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 a much, is, is energetically unstable. Mm-hmm. Right, small perturbations in our system could mean the whole thing comes crashing down. And you know what's worse is then um, once you have collective action, then people who are better at collective action outcompete those who are more egalitarian. Right, and that's why we end up with kings and a president. Is there's a sense in which in a world of uh, threats, it is just as dangerous to have too little power in the hands of one man as it is to have too much. Uh, yes. That, uh, yeah, so going back to uh, my vision, uh, mm-hmm. taking this, what you just said, like uh, mm-hmm. one individual controlling everything is not good and uh, mm-hmm. and Dividing control amongst many individuals is also not good. Um, yeah. So we have to have a way to, uh, you know, a way to make that fairer. So transparency and trust is are the the foundation of this of this. Yeah, now, showing your work is kind of the the the, me, the phrase people use for that. Yeah. Is that you don't just have to make pronouncements. This is the truth. You have to show your work. And if sometimes you have to make a gut decision because you don't have enough of evidence of the crisis, at least you own it. Yeah, and then when you do that, right, uh, it, it's not just one gut. It should be a, a set of guts. Uh, you know, one individual, although, you know, many things have happened out of the minds of, of a single individual, but also many bad things have happened out of a mind of a single individual. So Almost by definition, every idea ultimately came from an individual at some point, mm-hmm. and it, even if it was then socialized into something different. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. okay, uh, I have two points. The first one is uh, you need to have a guiding light. So what is your purpose? What is the purpose of our community? What are we about? You have to decide that, at least for the set of, of you that exist at that particular moment, and then, you know, Set it as the guiding principle of this, or the guiding principle of this entity. Um, uh, for example, uh, if you're uh, uh, you want to save lives, you want to study medicine. So your guiding principle is to save life, you know, to save human life, uh, to save animal life. You're a veterinarian. Um, you know you have to have something that guides all your, of your decisions. That it goes. Right. Back that, to that. Yeah, that, traditionally, that's what's called a religion. Like an Apple design was a religion. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, uh, um, and Ideology the best, is a more modern term for it, but yeah. Um, 
religion has more of the all-encompassing aspect that I think you're going towards. Mm-hmm. So you have that kind of light, and uh, it will make it easier for any person, member that, that are in entity, to make decisions. That, together with knowledge and experience, you have that. You have uh, transparency, trust, uh, guiding light, knowledge. Decision makers um, can be replaced very easily, and and they're they're well, you know, ideally. I'm not saying that you know uh, just take them out because uh, the community feels like actually, yeah. If the community at some point feels that this particular person has it, it doesn't follow the the community's values and guiding principles and and purpose, that person has made themselves, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, they actually are behaving in a way that the community itself would say, hey, you are not representing us. You are not following. Right, that's called, the, 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 yeah, the, 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 the technical term for that or, or the historical term for that is anathema. That person or that belief is anathema to the purpose mm -hmm. of this community. Yeah, so making right? it easy, yes, making it easy for a community to uh, ensure that all its actions, all its behaviors, all its interactions reflect what it is about, and that its members support those things. Making, uh, you know, making that, uh, facilitating that is uh, one of the, the main uh, tenets that I'm. Uh, you know, so, so, using. so historically, so I'm going to push that back to you then. Historically, which groups do you think have been doing the best job of ensuring their entire community? Is aligned around a single north star. I, I don't think that. Saw yeah. Well, yeah. I can give you some really interesting examples. Uh, okay. One of the ones that I respect in a horrific way is Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Right. They were an incredibly disorganized, defeated, demoralized society with a crashing economy, and they came up with a north star that allowed them to unify around a vision of what they should be. And they were very rigorous about ensuring everyone complied with that vision and punishing those who did not. Okay. Right? Now, so just having a North Star and having the community aligned around it may not qualify for our definition of good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, in from my view, right, uh, you, you have like a basic, or, or in my view, we have to set up a, a, a a starter foundation, okay, and ah, any, that, okay, that's that's that gets into a much richer question, yeah, yeah, like like uh, three things. So uh, we are for the advancement of every individual, not just a few. Every single one that is a member of, of this community is going to advance. So as a whole, uh, the the measure of how much has this community advanced is measured by who is doing the worst, and that is the measure. We're not going to use uh, an individual, you know, that has done great. No, we're going to use uh, or any, you know, even a, uh, an average or anything like that. No, who is doing the worst, and that is how we measure ourselves. Everything. Right. So that's a that's a good place to start, and I like the idea. So certainly, a, one foundation to start with, which I think is a useful way to think about it is that the community exists to help the individual flourish. And the, so the community has as its highest goal for its individual members to flourish. 
And similarly, the individuals have as their highest goal for the community to flourish. Exactly, yes. Okay, yeah, so here's where it gets tricky, is uh, you can do this up to a point. And then the question becomes, what about those outside the community? Yes, that I know, and, and um, I was. That's why the terminology that I started using, forking humanity, sounded uh, great because it's like, well, you know, we know, like you guys are on a road to perdition, but because you are so uh, married to this uh, capitalism and market and all that stuff, you, you know, so many people have talked to about this and that and they cannot imagine they are unable to imagine that people could live without money or that working hard to just save some money to get a house is it, it would be the easy thing to do and like no right you have to, yeah but uh, no, I mean, it's easy to yeah so i have an easy time imagining those things right because certainly mm -hmm. uh the but you know you could rent a plot of land you could buy a place in the corner of montana where taxes are basically non-existent and you can create and uh, ideological and religious communes have done this throughout history, right? They've created their little utopian villages and, you know, they become self-sustaining. They grow their own food. Um, mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. often they have, they so one, so a couple challenges you find with that. One, that um, there are certain things which are just insanely more efficient to buy from others at scale. You know, we can make you we can try and make a case that some of that will change with new technologies like 3D printing and atoms and bits versus atoms. Um, but the short answer is in order to if you really want to go that there there right now there's a massive if you really want to become a fully self-sustaining, mm -hmm. there's a massive cost you pay in terms of access to things like medicine mm -hmm. and the ability to defend yourself. And that will probably decrease. It's unlikely to go to zero or really anywhere close to zero. Um, and, you know, like I always talk to my libertarian friends always complain about the government and how we have to pay taxes. Say, well, you know, you could just go live in the mountains by yourself and not mm -hmm. pay any taxes. No problem mm -hmm. with that. Goes, well, I want to live here with other people. It's like, well, that's the trade-off, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? If you can't expect to get the benefits of being part of a larger society and civilization without also acknowledging some obligations towards that civilization, which is why we have things like Waco, Texas and the standoffs where they say, you know, hey, if you're living in our borders, you know, we expect you to, you know, uh, not engage in domestic violence and to have some level of respect for human rights. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know? now, and yeah, so, um, go ahead. Yeah, and then, right, so, that's, so, one, so one part is that that you, you people need society. Second, you know, it, it's just way more efficient. You have to give up a lot if you want to be insular. And so part of you actually were dismissive of the Amish because they seem much more like exactly the kind of communities you're you're uh, promoting, mm -hmm. where they really try to say we have very clear north star what our values are, uh, and they include not exploiting other people outside their group, um, um, and they are very measured in their adoption of technology, they will get things that they think are helpful, but they won't take things that collide with their values. Mm -hmm. So why mm -hmm. don't you see the Amish as a prototype for the kind of communities you want to build? Uh, well, exactly, because 
of their uh, um, uh, they want to avoid technology uh, at least take technology no they, 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 they don't let's, let's be fair with it what the Amish policy is not the technology is bad mm-hmm. it's the technology has a cost mm-hmm. so every time they encounter a new technology they sit down and they deliberate together whether adopting this technology will help them advance their communal values or whether it will detract from it and so they have electric motors in their workshops but they don't have electric lights in their homes yeah that is uh it's interesting uh i see there could be a good model but my view is we have to move fast into the future and and by fast i don't mean the zuckerberg move fast and break things all that crap no i mean with purpose like um so let's imagine there's an asteroid coming and it's going to hit the mm-hmm. earth, uh, humanity is going to be gone. Do we want that? No, we we have to, you know, uh, settle other uh, parts of the solar system to, uh, you know, make our survival at least palatable if, if or possible if another hits us, you know, sometime in the future. Right, and, and, you, and do you realize the most likely way that would play out if that actually happened? Do uh, what? Um, what you would have is a small group of rich people defining the boundaries of their community to make sure that their peers and the people they immediately cared about could evacuate and form their own uh, society. Exactly, and I'm against that. I mean, you know, I admire people like <laughs> right. Jeff Bezos. So, so, yeah. They must, so this, 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 yeah. They want. Let me just finish this for this talk. Jeff Bezos and Musk, they want to, you know, start uh, settling the solar system. But they're gonna do it their own way, right? I'm like, right. no, I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't want some billionaire to to define how humanity is gonna be uh, uh, selling for, for the solar system. No, we we have to. More people have to be involved in the solutions. It's not right. So here's okay, right? So yeah, yeah. So this is the interesting challenge, right? Is that if you, is uh, the people who are most likely Form, is that there's a real tension or uh, a gradient or, or maybe a really fine line between a self-sustaining community and an insular community that only cares about itself, mm-hmm. right? And this has always been the hard problem is that if you want people to really value the group and the members of the group, that almost by definition uh, means that you care, that you you stop caring, or you have an obligation to not care about what happens to people outside the community. Because every resource you donate to someone outside the community is in principle, at least, uh, taken away from the least advantaged member of this community. Mm. Right? Yeah. The only way around that is if you could invent some sort of magical system where within the community, you guys operate on the basis of trust and sharing of resources. But did you manage to engage in some sort of non-zero-sum interactions with other communities where you can say, you know, hey, um, by exchanging uh, goods or services with this other community, we get something back in return that makes us all better off. Yes, yes. Uh, right. And you know, what that, yeah. you know what the definition of that is? Uh, trade or what? Yep, trade, 
And if it's liquid and efficient enough, we call it a market. Exactly, yeah. Well, so we've just reinvented markets as a way to avoid uh, the insularity problem. Uh, well, <sighs> I want markets not to be well. The, the problem with we want, markets, we want markets to be subservient to the community rather than community servant subservient to the market. Correct. Exactly. With you on that, okay. But that's but it's very different than getting rid of markets. Okay. Right? Yeah. Let, so let's think about the uh, communities. You know, thousands of years ago. You know. Uh, you know, I wasn't there. I, I'm just based, basing this on on what thousands of years ago. You mean you mean you mean if you mean like before agriculture, tens of thousands of years ago. Thousands of yeah. years ago is the Roman Empire, which is probably not the role model you're going for. No, I'm like so. There's some settlements in in this area. You know, they're separated, but uh, for uh, you know this one, they grew some plants that you know, let's call it marijuana. That makes this really good, and some of the other sellers were visiting them, and they got a, they, they you know took a, some examples of that, and they liked it. Um, but they don't have money, so they don't have this concept of money. All they have is the concept of, hey, you have this uh, uh, I don't know, this fruit that grows in your in your part of the that you can grow. It's, it's called I don't know, it's called a, um, an orange. So these guys comparative the, advantage. Yeah, the community with the oranges, you know, they have, you know, uh, some good things that come from the orange, including juice or whatever. The guys with the marijuana, they they have, you know, uh, they can have good, they can spend good times with other individuals, even those they don't like when they are consuming this this uh, substance. So they kind of okay, hey, we have this fruit that you might like and you have that that, that we uh, can use let's do some exchange that's a market but i, I see it more like a, a an ex, like butter or or just a, an exchange between friends right so um, that's trade like we said yeah trade and barter is one thing but the problem with trade is that it's not liquid like what if your apple harvest uh, is in the spring and my barley harvest is in the fall we yeah. need some system of credit to yep. exchange these things across. And so there's good arguments that actually, even before barter, we had the idea of debt. Yeah. Within a community is relatively easy to manage in police. Uh, when you have to start managing debts between communities is where things get really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, right? And that, 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 right, that's the problem. Like I said, in the simplest case, you can see how it works at hoc, but it's incredibly inefficient. And once someone invents a more efficient way to do it, it tends to outcompete the alternatives. Ah, but you still so, see the 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 term you're using is compete, compete, competition. Well, the point is, like, is that the, 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 this is a historical fact, right? And and in fact, the reality is that you know if my computer community kind of sucks because it's really in, inefficient and traditional, and I'm stuck here being Amish when I don't want to be Amish, I'm going to vote with my feet and leave if I have an option. Mm-hmm. And unless you have a rule that no one can leave their original community, you at the very least have a, have a competition for members. Um, what, who Unless are you, you want to like, just who? impose, like, and this, this is precisely the problem communism ran into, right? Mm-hmm. Is that if you try to eliminate competition, it requires coercion. Either you give people the ability to make choices, um, or you have to require them to conform to the community. Well, that 
there's better and worse ways to do this, but I don't think you can get away from that 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 problem. Yes, and that's where uh, going back into the individual, your values are really important. So, yeah, like you said, uh, some I'm in the Amish community. Uh, oh, I really like to go out clubbing and like to go to bars, and you know that doesn't go with the Amish. Uh, so, what am I about? Am I are my values changed? Or is it just a, a little um, uh, flirtation with the with things that I don't that I cannot have? What is what drives me? Um, am I about uh, 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 you know uh, science and pure research, or am I about making money from that work? Um, so. You know that the way the science fails is not actually because it's about making money. It's about status within the scientific community. So, you know, scientists stop sharing data because they want the status of being the first one to publish the results, which may or may not cash out down the road. One of the extraordinary things about COVID-19 mm -hmm. is that scientists have dropped their traditional practice of hoarding their own data because they see the crisis as sufficient reason to sacrifice their personal desires for status, um, or maybe sublimate them into a greater desire to be a, a key player in, in finding the bigger prize. Mm -hmm. But like, these are precisely the hard problems where every system yeah. founders is the distinction between my personal benefit, uh, the benefit of the community I am a part of, and how I treat the communities I am not a part of. And to say, well, you shouldn't care about that does not seem like a sufficiently sophisticated answer to that problem. Well, um, in that, I think that it, it is a very important decision that you have to make uh, as an individual, um, uh, whether you want to stay in a community that, um, for, oh, whether you want to stay in a community because you will be personally fulfilled or, your uh, reputation will be higher. Like, what's, what's more important to you? Your reputation or the benefit of the community that you call home? So you have to, uh, as individuals, we have to, like, uh, decide what are we about? And that's, that's what I go uh, back to. What am I about? Am I uh, about making money or am I about... And I'm not... I'm not I'm, I don't need to talk but, about... But, 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 but I, think, I think money is a red herring. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Because more people, even the way money is used, is typically about status. And that's why, okay. you know, a friend of mine said, the reason uh, academic politics are so bad is that the stakes are so low. The stakes are so low. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and if you do actual studies of uh, tribals and villages, uh, you know, they don't have a money economy, but the status games are just as fierce if not as large scale as what you have in industrialized economies. No, even you, more so because, yeah. because you, you, have a, you have a smaller number of status games you can play. Now, uh, what I mean, is... Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me put this question. What is status? Why, is it about being selfish? Is, is it about uh, fulfilling some emptiness within you? What is status? Why, why would... In a, uh, for which uh, money is, is a, 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 like an avatar, but a proxy, yeah, a proxy. Why do people Why care about do that? Yeah, 
so here's and this is the you know here's here's there's here's the really here's one analysis from Rene Girard. In order for society to function, we have to agree on a shared purpose. You're the one who said we need a shared purpose, yes. right? So the best way to get people aligned with that purpose is to create status games that reward people in advance for developing the skills necessary to achieve the group's purpose, right? So if you're in a tribe that regularly gets attacked by other tribes, you create a status game around being a warrior where people uh, put in the cost to learn how to endure pain, to develop you know, martial arts skills, to uh, practice dueling with their peers, so that when the society needs them to defend the borders and ensure the company's existence, they've already accumulated the capital. And you want to be able to reward people who do that and punish people who do not. And that's how you get a status game. Mm. Yeah. This, uh, right? Oh, yeah, I and, you know, our status game for the last 50 years or so, uh, actually almost 80 years now, in America has been consumerism. Mm. Right? Is that the way, and this was a very conscious choice in the 19 late 1940s, post-World War II, where people were living in the horror of World War II and perhaps even more soul-sucking horror of the Great Depression. And they said, we need to create a new status game around consuming goods in order to ensure the economic survival of our society. Otherwise, we will be destroyed. And, you know, it's easy to look back now and say, what a stupid, idiotic, short-sighted thing to do. Mm -hmm. But when you consider the alternatives they were facing, it's like, okay, maybe that was the best they could do at the time because the alternatives that they could see were far worse. Mm. Right? Going yeah. back to the Great Depression or allowing the Soviet Union to swallow us up uh, under mm -hmm. Lenin. Right? And so, you know, so there's a case to be made that if you have it in order to have a North Star, you have to create a status game aligned with that North Star. And I think we'll leave it this. I think because I like I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I'm really pushing your thinking here because I think that there are additional constraints. Just having a North Star by itself is not sufficient. Well, just caring about the good of the community is not sufficient. Mm -hmm. You need to have a very particular kind of North Star, mm -hmm. a particular way of caring about the community, a particular way of thinking about who you are as an individual and your responsibility to the community, in order for this to actually work at scale. And, and you that, have to deal, yeah. Th that scale is a very important term here because, yeah, you cannot have a perfect uh, community of millions of people. It is not going to happen because, you know, there's going to be some strife, some uh, divisions, and, at, you know, in large numbers, you cannot resolve this because, you know, you can see, in, uh, and, and this is really sad because this is uh, something that uh, the Republican Party took just to uh, gain back their following. Like in the 60s, it, they were like, uh, you know, just uh, somebody said, hey, we are losing voters and we are not getting them back. Um, we need to find something to uh, uh, motivate these people. So somebody did some investigations, blah, blah, blah. They say, oh, abortion is one thing that, you know, we can get in. Yeah, that was nineteen seventy two was the Red Wolf Raid and then, you know, with the moral majority and Ronald Reagan. Sure. It, and yeah. it's easy to, to to pick on that um as a technique. And but the, here's I think the harder problem. 
which I don't know any non-theistic solutions to, is that kind of the implicit purpose of every entity is to sustain its own existence, whether that's a political party or an individual or a community. That is just sort of assumed that I should exist and also by implication that the status games that I have invested in are worth existing. And that and, is, us. yeah. But, and the thing is, is that, yeah, right. This is, this is a huge problem. On the other hand, um, most of the strategies for addressing that suffer from the same problem. Anyway, I got to run. We'll leave it. It's been an hour. Uh, let's mm. talk again soon. All right. Okay. Bye, Ernest. Later, Ernest.